Good morning. All right. Well, it's the day before fall break. <laughs> and so I feel like I should have a light and happy message for you, but I don't. So I'm sorry for that. And I should start with a joke, but I can't because it doesn't go with the message. So we're not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to tell you about a year ago, I had spoken chapel. Um, it was just about exactly a year ago. And, uh, and I left chapel and, and I drove right away to Kansas because my mom had broken her arm. Uh, she had cancer that had gotten into her bones. And um, I shared with her the song that we sang this morning. And, and it's just, I don't know, it's hard. It's hard to, to be singing that because I lost my mom in January. You know, and that, the end of that song, you talk about how when, when the end is drawing near and yet we still are singing praises, right? It's hard. It's hard, but it's good. It's good, it's rich, because the Christian life is full of these paradoxes, right? Where there's some things that are really, really hard, some things that really hurt. And then somehow Jesus meets us in the middle of those things. And he brings glory to himself. And often he does that through the church. And we see love lived out now on earth through the church, through the body of Christ. Jesus talks about that. One of the last things he said uh, was about how we were gonna be witnesses. Acts 1.8 uh, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? And then that's followed by Acts 2 where the church as we know it begins. Um, and so I'm gonna share with you in a, in a few minutes some slides that I've got that kind of show where the church is at, what it looks like today, uh, because I, I think it's, it's really encouraging, it's exciting to look and see where believers are, where people are who are following Christ, and, and what it looks like uh, today. But when I think about the church, I have mixed feelings, I don't know about you, but I have times when I want to give up on the church. I mean, the church has been a home and a comfort to me when I'm hurting and, and has tended to me in times of need. But I don't know, maybe we're similar here. She disappoints me. Right? I don't know. I almost wonder if, if we, if you and me, if we use the church like pornography, attractive, exciting, fulfilling, easy to access. I can set the terms of my contribution. Right? The church will try to draw me in to attract me with strategically positioned lighting and music. Depending on what meets your needs, you might find yourself drawn to a more exciting church or to a more calm but dependably reliable church. We seek for church that meets our unique needs. We, we shop for it, really. And then we use the church for our own pleasure. And for a while, it's good. Our needs are being satisfied. But after a while, sometimes suddenly, sometimes slowly, the shine wears off. 
the sensuous luster fades to reveal something more mundane. We realize those driving drum beats or that reliable liturgy no longer quite meets the deep need for satisfaction. We keep coming back for a while, hoping that maybe the magic will return. Some of us stop there, content with the no longer fulfilling but still familiar routine. Right? Some of us back away, saddened that this is just one more road that doesn't lead to fulfillment. But eventually, many of us move on. We look for a new fix, a church that gets me, where I get fed, where I'm satisfied. And on the surface, this seems harmless enough, I suppose. But check this out. What do we call it when we look for a new church? Shopping, right? I'm going church shopping. Looking for the right fit. I don't know about you, but I, th I think the free market is great for a lot of things. But there are some things that just don't work in that category. What can't you buy? Happiness, right? Love, right? But then why is it that we can shop for church? Now, I know that it's just harmless language. It's just an expression. It's just something we say. But those of you who have me in cultural anthropology and intercultural communication know that isn't the case, right? Words, language, influences how we think. So when we say that we are shopping for the church, this is not only a way of expressing what we're thinking, it shapes our thinking. Okay, so here's the thing. Since we are the church, and since we have got this way of thinking about the church, we've got this weird way of, the thinking, of thinking where the church is somehow something that we consume. And I don't know if you can see where I'm headed with this, and the reality is I hate to get to my conclusion because it turns my stomach. I really didn't want to talk about this today. I really didn't. But let's press forward. If the church is something we consume, something that is good as long as it satisfies us, if church is something we can leave when we're no longer satisfied and that we can replace after shopping for a new church that does meet our needs and satisfies us, that all works if church is a product. But the problem is that church is not a product. Church is a body. And if you apply all that language that we just use for church to a body, what do you have? Pornography, perhaps, prostitution, perhaps. We use and abuse and give in return only what we feel we must in order to keep this thing going. Sometimes we get sick of it because this is disgusting. But instead of repenting, we, like Amnon, who had used Tamar, hate her for it. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. You know Christians like that, right? The Christians that hate church. How many of us are quick to judge the church, to speak harshly against it, to despise it? The church is certainly not uh, no product to be used. She's not even merely a body, right? She's a bride. Check this out. I think we've got a verse. Well, that's me. We, we have a, we have a, hey, yeah, there we go. All right. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Jesus loves the church, right? Jesus loves the church. I was in a conversation recently about the church and there was this undeniable temptation to talk about how messed up the church is. We were tempted to drag her through the mud like we were somehow mad at the church. But the thing is that Jesus loves the church. So I wanna suggest today that if we don't love the church, there's something wrong. I'm gonna suggest four things that we need to see. The first is what I've been talking, up to, talking about up to this point, which is that we're trying to get something from the church that it was never designed to give us. The church is not a product. It's not for our satisfaction. The second is that we have excluded the church from the good news of the gospel. How many of you have encountered a version of the gospel that says that not only can Jesus forgive your sin, right, which he does, but that when you accept him and become his disciple, that you become part of this amazing organism called the church. That's not the gospel presentation that I usually hear, right? Check this out. This is actually really good news because we read in 1 Peter 2.10 that we were once not a people, but now we are God's people. That's right up with the fact that we had not received mercy, but now have. That's the same verse, right? We once were not a people, now we're a people. Had not received mercy, have received mercy, that's gospel. Galatians 3 and Philippians 2 describe the character of this new people and how not only does this new identity supersede our ethnic, racial, and gender identities, and we're now part of a people, it's that we're now part of this people where we each consider the other's challenges as more important than our own, right? This is something new, this is different. This is good news. The gospel is good news for individuals, yes. It is very good news. But it is good news for all of humanity because we begin to see that a kind of reconciliation is possible that we could never achieve on our own, not only between people and God, but also between groups of people, and even between groups of people that hate each other. That's good news. That's good news. The third thing 
that I want to suggest is that we, we need to raise our eyes to recognize who the church actually is. One of the privileges I've had over the last years is to travel to various parts of the world and to be received by people of God in the name of Jesus. Man, that's sweet. That's sweet. And I know a bunch of you have had that experience too. You've gone on a mission trip or something, but you go and you, you connect with people who you are related to because of Jesus and they receive you in his name and that's rich. It's rich. The church can be found all across the globe. And, I, and, and like I said, I wanna show you a couple images of this because I think sometimes we think too lowly of the church just because we don't recognize who she is. All right. So the global distribution of Christians in 2010, uh, is that, yeah. All right, it's cut off there, so I'm gonna read it to you. Uh, so in Europe, Europe had 25.9% of the world's Christians. The Americas, North and South together, had 36.8%. Middle East, North Africa, 0.6%. Asia Pacific, 13.1%. And Sub-Saharan Africa, 23.6%. Now, if you, uh, if you look at the distribution, the global distribution of other religions, it doesn't look like that. One of the things that's beautiful about the church is that the gospel, right, is accessible, can be, can be understood, can be contextualized into all of these different places. And we have this core, this, this, this shared core. Let's look at it a different way. All right, we got that. Um, I, I don't know about you. When I was growing up thinking about the church, that's not what I thought it looked like in my mind, right? I sort of thought there was a great big bubble where we live, and like really tiny bubbles everywhere else. And so when I encountered the church in America and I got frustrated with the church in America, I, I thought that was the whole church, but it's not. Uh, let's, let's go to the next one here. So if you wanna look only at Protestants, that's fine, we can do that. It, it looks kind of the same. Um, but there's actually more Protestants in Africa than in the Americas. So when we think about the church, who's the church? The church is beautifully diverse. Uh, we, we can go to the, the next one. Okay, yeah. So this, oh, no, sorry, back one. All right. So this, the dots are only in countries that have at least a million Christians. This is the global distribution of Protestants in 2010. Like, people who love Jesus are all over the world. And so when we think about the church, we just, man, that's so encouraging to me. And when I reject the church, I, I hope I'm not rejecting that, right? This is beautiful. And then uh, the, the next slide is just uh, saying, if you wanna look only at evangelicals, it's still the same thing, uh, same kind of distribution, right? All over the world. You can... Take that down, whoever, whoever does that. Okay, all right. <laughs> so the, the fourth issue, I mentioned three issues, right? I think the fourth issue is one of repentance and confession. There's a, a category of sin called structural sin. 
Structural sin deals with the reality that sometimes the sum is greater than the individual parts put together. That sometimes we together are worse than any of us or even all of us put together. In such cases, we cannot take the weight, we can't take that weight on ourselves as individuals. This is really hard for those of us who grew up in individualistic cultures, right? When we're convicted about some great wrong, when we see something in the church and we're like, that shouldn't be that way, we take that all on ourselves instead of recognizing that the guilt is shared. Right? Sometimes, sometimes we talk about something like white guilt, right? We, we encounter stuff that we as white people have done to other groups of people, and we try, to, we try to internalize that all onto ourselves as individuals, and it doesn't work. You can't, right? It'll crush you. But what we have to do instead is learn that our shared sin has to be repented of together, right? That we have to have collective corporate repentance. We know from Revelation 3 and following that the church, although she's the bride of Christ, can definitely go astray, right? It's very clear that that's possible. And in such cases, corporate repentance and confession can accomplish what individual repentance and confession cannot. I cannot myself repent of the wrongs the church has perpetrated. We have to do that together. I'm gonna bring my remarks to a close here. In a moment, I want you to, to pause and to uh, consider your attitude toward the church, and then, and then Marcus is gonna talk to us a little bit. But the question is, do you love the church? Do we love the church? Don't use the bride of Christ just to fill some need for satisfaction. The church is beautiful, wonderful, welcoming, diverse. The church is the body of Jesus on earth. Love, love the church. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power and at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let's just take a, a moment. I just want you to, to bow your head and just to, just to ask yourself, do you love the church? Lord, I thank you that you're here with us. I thank you that you show us so much about who you are through your people. This new people, where you're doing a new thing. 
I ask you to help us to love the church, cherish one another. I ask that you would break us of a consumerist mentality when it comes to the church, this idea that we can shop. Help us to understand our relation to your body, to your bride. Thank you that the church is so much richer, so much more diverse, so much more interesting, so much more present than we can imagine. And I ask that you just guide us. Guide us because we need you. Need you. In Jesus' name. So we are the church. I'm going to bring it a little closer to home for most of you. I was in D.C. this last weekend. I have to say, as a foreigner, I am really impressed by the beauty of this country, and I've been really blessed to be able to travel around America, and I've seen at least the different parts of it. And so D.C. was different. It was cool. It was fun. Got to lead worship at the President's Park at 3 in the morning in 32-degree weather. That was good. Went to the front desk, asked the guy, how do I get to the White House at one in the morning? And he just stared at me. And then I realized probably shouldn't have phrased it that way. And he looks at me and he goes, the same way that you get to the White House at one in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, smarty pants. Can I walk there is my question. And yes, you can. Okay, is it safe? And then he gives me this look like I just asked the stupidest question. And he's like, it's the White House. This is the safest place in America. And I was tempted to say, have you watched the news? Apparently a guy didn't get the memo and he jumped the gate. I'm here all year, so. So the reason why I was in DC was because I ended, uh, ended, I attended, I did not end. I attended a immigration conference. Uh, you might wonder, What's your qualification? Well, I'm an immigrant, so that's my qualification to be at an immigration conference. Uh, it was me and 15 other students from 15 different schools, Christian, private liberal arts, or state colleges. And so we sat and we had discussion and conversation about immigration in America. Found out a lot of things. A lot of myths were debunked, at least myths that I didn't know existed, which were then brought up and then debunked in front of me, so that was kind of cool. Um, so Christianity in America, what does that look like? What does the church look like? This month, GIT is focusing on the church, um, and as we said, we do different themes each, each month. Uh, my desire is that you would track with us, even though these are hard-pressing issues that we're going to be looking at in the next few months, but if you track with us, you will come out more than just being globally aware, you will be to some degree 
globally prepared for a ministry that is changing. From 1992 until 2012, um, it's estimated that every year about a million immigrants come to America. Now, my interest in immigration is not political, it's not socioeconomical. My interest, my interest, my interest in immigrants is from a ministerial perspective. And so what does it feel like to be in a foreign land away from home? And that's what most international students and missionary kids feel like. And so that's where I come in and I want to know what it feels like so estimated every single year, a million immigrants come in. There is, at least to the reports that have come out, there are 11 undocumented immigrants in America. So they are working in fields, and they're working in food service industries, and they're working in packing plants, and they don't have visas. They're not here legally. Some of their kids are born here. Some of them go to school here. Out of these 11 million immigrants, um, a survey by Pew Research Center in 2011 found that 9.8 million of these 11 million illegal immigrants are Christian. Dr. Tennant from Ashbury Theological Seminary, who is a missiologist, came out with this statement. He said that, the greatest hope for Christian renewal in America is the immigrant church. I think this really says something about what's happening with globalization. You don't have to go and buy a ticket and fly across the world to meet someone who's from a different culture, race, ethnicity. You don't have to go that far. You just have to walk across the street. You just go to a gas station, a 7-Eleven. Just go to the cities. There's so much diversity. We were joking about this the other day that actually it's even harder to find a full-fledged atheist, humanist, postmodern. Uh, it's easier to find that kind of American in France, in Paris, than it is to find here who's just super humanistic and, I mean, you can find them everywhere, but you have to go to France to find one sometimes. But someone from a different culture, a different ethnicity, a different upbringing is right here. I'm not here to tell you how to vote. I'm not here to, I'm not concerned about all that. That's, that's your concern. My concern is this. What is the testimony of the church to those who are coming in who have not, who don't know that, probably we didn't know that, but don't have the same baggage as, as most of us do. And when they try to fellowship together, they find this rift. How are we as the church being witnesses? I feel like I've been pretty acculturated to some American culture, so I say we. People think I'm turning white. I'm not. So as we go back during this fall break, I know you want to not think about things and enjoy your break, but here's something to think about. 
What do your actions say about your witness? What does it say about what you believe? Because we can know it. We can believe it. But then it comes out wrong. For the first time in my life, I believe in aliens because I am called an alien. Big, bold fonts on my, on my tax form that I have to pay. It says non-resident alien. Whoa. People feel like aliens sometimes. We search for extraterrestrial life and we glorify that. There's intelligent life on other planets. And then the intelligent life standing in front of us that we call aliens. There are reports that when Vietnamese people were fleeing the war in Vietnam, the boat people, as they were called, and they went to some countries like Malaysia and Australia. The government sent out tow boats. What these tow boats did were to drag those boats full of refugees fleeing war into the middle of the ocean to leave them there to die. This isn't something from prehistoric, primitive history. This is just the last 50 years. We are the church. We are his witnesses. Would you stand as we pray? And I hope this is, after what we've heard today, we make it as our prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you as your people. Those you have called by your own name. God, as a generation that is so concerned about appearance and branding, I ask for forgiveness, Lord for treating your church like a product, for taking what I want, giving what I think is convenient, and not loving your bride as you love it. Jesus, some of us here have cried out in our own times of prayer, asking you that we may know your heart, that we may know who you are. You meet us in the difficulty. You meet us in the pain and you meet us in the suffering. So Lord, may this be a new beginning for us.
as your church to love rightly, to love each other, and to love this world. That by our love, people will know that we are from you, that we belong to you. Send us off with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.